the sun is really bad for lupus. For some people, it doesn't affect them that much, but I'm very, very sensitive. And, like, if I walk outside for five minutes, I can feel my joints swell. So I'm a little bit nervous about – I'm really, really diligent about putting on sunscreen and doing all of that. I'm just nervous about being exposed to the sun and more in a way that I'm always – I feel like a nuisance in social situations because I'm pretty good, like, at navigating it myself. But in social situations, being like, can we sit under the umbrella? Oh, can we sit in the shade? Like, oh, I need to bring this huge umbrella to the beach. Excuse me. (laughs) Hey there, and welcome to In Sickness and In Health, a podcast about the intersections with chronic illness, disability, healthcare, and mortality. My name is Kara Gale. I'm not a doctor or a medical professional. I'm just a person and a patient who really wants to talk about this stuff more. Nothing said on this show should ever be considered medical advice. If you're experiencing a medical issue, please seek qualified medical help. I know the system sucks, but I do wish you a lot of luck. Every person is different, even within disease groups, so none of my guests should ever be regarded as official representatives or spokespersons for their conditions. Please respect their very personal choices, and unless they ask for it, please don't make suggestions about treatments or lifestyle changes. Unsolicited medical advice is never not annoying. In today's episode, I talked to Erica Lupinacci of Suffering the Silence about her health advocacy with HIV AIDS and through Suffering the Silence. Media portrayal of chronic illness and disability, challenges she'll face as an actor with a disability, doing everything right and still being sick, illness on social media, the nightmare of American health insurance, and traveling with an unpredictable illness. We recorded at Erica's apartment in the West Village on one of the first very hot days so far this summer, so we did have to sit in front of a fan the whole time, so sorry about that noise. As always, find resources and more from us at InSicknessPod.com and on social media at InSicknessPod. And you can find links to Erica's projects on the show page. If you can, please take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes, which helps other people find the show. And I hope you enjoy this episode. So your like route into health advocacy is a little bit different than a lot of the people that I've talked to who like came to it through like their own illness, but you actually had an uncle. Um, Can you talk a a bit about your experience with him? Wait, my uncle? Did you not? Did did you have an uncle that had HIV? No. No? Okay. No, but I did do a lot of work with HIV. Okay. Talk about that. Okay. (laughs) Well, it's kind of random. I was in college, and I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And one of the classes that I had signed up for was filled, so I had to find another class. And there was a class on sex ed and HIV awareness, prevention, all of that. And I was like, okay, cool. I'll take that. Really never knew much about any of it, and I had terrible sex ed in high school, pretty much non-existent. Did you go to a public school or a private school? I went to a public school 45 minutes out of New York City, and it was a great public school, so you would think that we would have pretty comprehensive sex ed, but not so much. And I think when they covered it, it was the year that I missed so much school. Well, I guess I missed two years of missing a lot of school. 
but um, I missed the day mm -hmm. that they did sex ed. Um, because we only need we, one day. It's only one day that you need. So I took this class, and it was taught by this woman named Jill Lewis, who has been involved in the, in the AIDS epidemic since the beginning and has traveled all over the world. She's British, but she's done um, prevention education work in almost, like, every country. Um, not actually, but she's been everywhere. And I totally fell in love with it, and I was pretty outraged that this wasn't something that we talked about anymore and that it was treated like, oh, all these gay men died, but, like, it's not a problem, and whatever, that happened, bye. Um, and that really infuriated me. So I kind of dedicated my whole college experience to working on that. And I did my thesis on the play The Normal Heart by Larry Kramer, who's a huge AIDS activist. It was interesting. I didn't feel like I was invested in it because of my own chronic illness. I touched on it a little bit in my thesis, just in the way that some people, when they talk about HIV now, they say it's treatable, it's fine. And knowing what a treatable chronic, <laughs> chronic illness is like, it's not fine right. and it's not no big deal. Um, so I talked about it a little bit there, but I still, I've never really understood what my personal connection to it is because I do feel very passionate and connected to it in general. But Well, the internet says that you had an uncle who died of AIDS. What? I don't remember where I read that. I read that like a long time ago, like the first time that we were supposed to have an interview before we had to reschedule. But yeah, that was, so that's really weird. interesting. I'm going to have to look that up. Yeah. Oh, we had rumors already. <laughs> wow. That's crazy. Pain. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> no, no, no dead uncle from AIDS that I know of. Well, that's good. That's good. Yeah, it's a, a good problem to have. Yeah. Um, what did your thesis entail? Like, what was that all about? I did a staged reading of The Normal Heart on World AIDS Day. And then I did a bunch of interviews with audience members and cast and all of that after the fact. And then kind of just did a paper on the play's ability to break silences about HIV AIDS in the 80s when it came out. And they had recently done a revival in 2011. So just kind of comparatively and looking at why we talk about it differently now and how we can change that. So you mentioned that you missed a couple years of high school uh, due to your own condition. Uh, can you talk about some of that and like your diagnostic process if you want to get into yeah. that? Um, so everything kind of started when I was 15, when I was a sophomore in high school. And I had flu-like symptoms that I thought was the flu that just kind of didn't go away. So at the time I was just seeing a pediatrician and they started testing me for a bunch of things. There was a weird... They thought I had thalassemia, which is a pretty bad blood condition, but I actually just had the trait, which was fine, but that caused a huge scare at one point. But besides that and me being pretty anemic, they had no idea what was going on. So they started sending me to a bunch of different specialists who also had no idea what was going on. And I was getting tested for everything and anything they could think of. I remember just getting my blood drawn all the time. I was getting my blood drawn more than I was in school, I think. Um, and through the process of that, I got pretty depressed. And so not only being sick, just thinking about going to school, especially like all the work that I had to make up and the fact that my teachers weren't 
very helpful with that was really terrifying. Um, and I eventually was sent to a rheumatologist who at the time diagnosed me with ankylosing spondylitis and fibromyalgia. And I was started to be treated for that and I got a little better, but not really. And it took another year or so for me to have a major flare where I was in the hospital for a week and then finally diagnosed with lupus. Um, but yeah, it was about two years of nothing and not really knowing what was going on and a lot of fear and weird diseases being thrown around or not getting any information or, or I'll always, always remember I went to a hematologist and he said, well, you know, it could always be leukemia, but like probably not. Thanks. Thank you. Like, don't tell a 16 year old that um, and laugh about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it was a really stressful, awful time. And a lot of my teachers didn't understand. I got a 405 classification. I don't even know what it is in the education system that basically gives you extra time, right. which is not for what I, it was extra time for tests and things like that. And luckily, like I was a pretty good student. So to sit down and take a test wasn't that hard for me, but having to, make up all of the work and not feeling like my teachers and my classmates really understood why I needed that was really stressful. Um, and again, like I looked fine. I lost quite a bit of weight cause they put me on, um, a bunch of different things, but I was on antidepressants and then I was on Ritalin cause they told me I had ADD, which I don't think I have. It was just like one of those like here. Yeah. So I lost a lot of weight, but other than that, I looked pretty normal. So I remember, my friends not understanding why, you know, same thing as now, but, um, when you're younger, even more so why I could go to something on the weekend, but couldn't be in school the next day and all of that. So it definitely was a really, really bad depression I was in. And that, that is what I remember a lot of. Do you remember why the rheumatologist diagnosed you with ankylosing spondylitis or like why that diagnosis was changed to lupus? I mean, aside from just being in the hospital. Right. I I mean, the thing with lupus is, and with so many of these diseases, is that unless you're flaring majorly, you won't test. Not that there's lupus tests, but, you know, it's not positive. So they tested me for lupus. It just wasn't active at that time. Mm -hmm. So honestly, I don't remember why she came to the conclusion of ankylosing satellitis and fibromyalgia. It kind of felt like here are just some like general things that you could and may have, and we just need to give you a diagnosis. Um, I remember for a while she was just using uh, rheumatoid arthritis as a as a like diagnostic code because she didn't know what to put. But I also think that, like, my initial doctor didn't really explain things to me. A lot of times I still have to, I mean, like any disease, look up things. But sometimes I don't feel like I totally even understood what lupus was because she didn't really explain a lot to me. Mm -hmm. Um, So when I, even when I was having the major flare, they still didn't know what was actually happening and why it was happening. And it took a while to finally get in the hospital. Um, I kept having these reoccurring, what I thought were back spasms and it was actually fluid around my heart. Um, so it took about like two months or so for me to get 
a, a echocardiogram, a scan of my heart, and they saw all this fluid, and they were like, you have to go to the, <laughs> the hospital, like, right now. Um, and it still took them four days to come to the lupus conclusion. Mm -hmm. But even then, my doctor walked in and, was, and said, we have good news. You have lupus. And everyone was confused by that was good news. Um, but I was just so relieved to finally have a diagnosis that felt like it made sense. Right. Right. So um, I, I, you might get asked this a lot. How do you feel about how lupus is portrayed on TV, like in, say, House? Yeah. And I've never watched House. Mm -hmm. But obviously, people will always say, oh, it's never lupus. It's never lupus. And... That's the thing that most people bring up. And then apparently one of the contestants on one of the seasons that I haven't seen of America's Next Top Model had lupus and her hair fell out a lot. And that's the kind of thing that people bring up. But most of the time, I don't feel like people really know what it is. And I guess House gives a somewhat accurate portrayal of the fact because it's so different all the time and it presents in so many ways so always checking for it is a good idea, but I honestly have never seen the show. And, um, so they really don't give a very clear idea of what it is. It's, it's just, kind of a, it's a joke. Yeah. It's a joke because it has, you know, these like kind of confusing and like indistinct symptoms. And so a lot of other diseases can be mistaken for lupus. So he says, you know, it's, it's never lupus, but lupus isn't, that rare is it no there's over a million people living with it um in the united states yeah so it's not that rare but it does present in so many different ways that i understand why it takes a bit to diagnose and more so because it depends on how active it is mm -hmm. but um i would love for there to be a better portrayal and a better understanding mm -hmm. of what it's like more day-to-day -day instead of on a medical show. Mm -hmm. I'm working on that myself. I'm trying to write something. Please tell me more about that. Um, well, I'm an actor mm -hmm. and I've been thinking about writing for a while and I feel like chronic illness is one of the only things that really hasn't been touched on in the media, at least what it's like every day, the daily struggles, all of that. And I would really like for people to understand that and see that more. So I'm going to start working on a screenplay. And that is my plan right now. Exciting. Yes. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> but I'm excited about it. That is very exciting. Because so often when things like this are worked into a script, it's more as a plot device by somebody who hasn't actually lived with it than anything else. Right. But I'm, you know, I'm working with a new production company that's specifically for people that are disabled and trying to create more opportunities for that. And, you know, everyone, just normal people. You don't have to play the, you know the character with Down syndrome. Mm -hmm. They could just be the doctor or the waitress or whatever because we're all just normal people existing in the world. Yeah. And so many of these characters and in the media, they're all a punchline or... Yeah, or, or like the bitter cripple or yeah. the, the evil, you know, person. Yeah. Uh, there's just so many harmful tropes and stereotypes that get played out in... The media and, I mean, especially now, whatever that movie is called. Oh, Me Before You. Yeah, people are really not happy about that. Yeah. Yeah, and I read an article by a girl I know who's a pretty big disability activist talking about that having a disability is cause to end your life mm -hmm. and is cause that, like, 
well, what's the point now right. when, you know, all of us are living day to day? And obviously, yeah. you know, I have no idea what it's like to live in a wheelchair or be paralyzed and have no, you know, perception um, of that. But portraying that in that way can be really damaging. For sure. For sure. Uh, for a whole number of reasons. Yeah. Can you tell me more about that production company? Yeah, it's new. And it was started by this wonderful guy named Patch. And his sister has Down syndrome. And he was just, he's really frustrated about the opportunities that have been presented to her throughout her life. And, in you know, education system, working-wise, just in general. So he's an actor as well and he just started this company um and it's going to be focused on tv and film and what we're really trying to do is create new work that features disabled actors um as well as documentaries and um kind of narratives of what it's like to live with these and try to be an actor or try to work in the entertainment industry with this kind of condition or certain whatever you're living with and how that affects you and how that affects your career yeah that's awesome what's its name it's called bridged productions you can check us out on facebook instagram and twitter so you are involved with your friend Allie, who wrote a book called suffering the silence about her experience with chronic lyme disease and just the general uh atmosphere around the disease and whatnot. And you guys actually also as a, a side component started this community mm-hmm. uh, for people with chronic illness of all kinds. So can you talk about, about your experience with that? Yes. So Allie and I have been friends since middle school. So for a pretty long time and Allie has been six since she was seven, but she had a really, really rough year, our senior year of high school, which is when I was officially diagnosed. So we both, went through our kind of worst times at the same time. And we were best, best friends, inseparable, um, and talked about everything except for this. And it wasn't that we ignored it. We just, we never talked about it in a way that was helpful or in a way that we really could connect with each other and realize that we were going through some of the same things. Mm -hmm. So Allie wrote her thesis on Lyme in college. And then when she graduated, we kind of reconnected. We were both living in New York. And she got the book deal. So I started helping her out with the PR for it. And then it kind of opened us up to start talking to each other about it. And we realized that we had so many of this, so many similar experiences, not necessarily with our illnesses medically, but our day-to-day personal, emotional experiences in doctor's offices, all of that. And we realized that we probably weren't the only two people to have that. So we kind of expanded on her book in the way that it's structured and started the website as a place for people to share their own experiences and write about what they had gone through in their own voice and not feel that they had to represent their experience in a super positive light or say it was all fine because that was something that we both went through. I was always pretty open with telling people that I had it, but I tried to act like it was no big deal. Mm -hmm. So giving people a place to be super honest about it and talk about the negative aspects and when it's hard and scary and sad and all of that. 
And so we started with that story component and then we kind of developed the photo series, which is what kind of really built up our community where people were writing their diagnosis on their arm and taking photos of it. And it was really, really amazing to see these people who a lot of whom had never shared their diagnosis publicly with people to so boldly showcase that and share it with the world was really amazing. And the the shots are really great. Who was your photographer? Her name is Amanda Cromit and she's a friend of Allie's best friend from college. And the world is small and she's incredible and she's continued to do some work for us and she and Allie just collaborated on a project with um, a specifically Lyme organization in Ridgefield, Connecticut, and they just did a whole gallery show on Wednesday um, with people living with Lyme. So she's amazing, and she's been so passionate about the community and really excited about all the projects, and her photos are really beautiful. Yeah, that's exciting to... It helps when you have somebody that you're collaborating with yeah. that's like also super into it. Yes. And with something like this, you want people that are super passionate about it and understand that they're not just taking a pretty picture. They're trying to capture a feeling and an emotion and that this is not just supposed to be a pretty picture. It's supposed to be more than that. So someone that gets that is essential. Um, So I'm moving to Los Angeles Mm -hmm. in two months and I think that it's going to be really helpful for my body, but I'm also really scared about the sun because The sun is really bad for lupus. For some people, it doesn't affect them that much, but I'm very, very sensitive. And, like, if I walk outside for five minutes, I can feel my joints swell. So I'm a little bit nervous about – I'm really, really diligent about putting on sunscreen and doing all of that. I'm just nervous about being exposed to the sun and more in a way that – I'm always, I feel like a nuisance in social situations because I'm pretty good like at navigating it myself, but in social situations being like, can we sit under the umbrella? Oh, can we sit in the shade? Like, oh, I need to bring this huge umbrella to the beach. Excuse (laughs) me. Um, so I'm kind of more nervous for that. Um, but I do think that the warm weather is going to be really helpful for me because I've noticed that the cold is detrimental and I just get so many weird illnesses. I always have a cold. I just always feel so much worse. So a consistent like 70 degrees, I think will be wonderful. I think summers, no matter where I am, are going to be hard. But, um, you know, navigating those social situations is really difficult. I think that that's been difficult in general always. And I think now after doing all this work and trying to advocate for myself, And being more vocal about it and then still not having people get it can be really frustrating. Oh my God, it's the worst. (laughs) It's awful. I want to be like, do you have any idea what I do with my time? Like, I am an expert about this. You should listen to me. Right. And I think it's so frustrating, like, when you are so vocal about it, when people know that this is something that you do now, that people don't think about it Mm -hmm. or that people don't listen or... I, I understand that it's difficult and I know it's hard, but after like a year or so of being so vocal, it can be really frustrating and really sad mm-hmm. when someone that you can be really close friends with just still doesn't get it. Yeah. 
I, I, I'm curious, and I hope this isn't planting a new fear in your brain that you didn't have before, but are you at all concerned about like the intense like health culture that is so associated with Southern California? I think it's good and bad um, because there are times where I am healthy enough to work out and do all of that, and that's great. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like to eat pretty healthy, so it's kind of – I think it will be helpful and nice to be in that environment. But I also – I think I'm worried about the entertainment industry culture a little bit more um, just for myself navigating it as an actor for a bunch of different reasons, like energy level, not knowing when I'm going to feel good, not knowing when I'm going to feel bad for auditions, for shoots, for this, for that. Um, and then also like, I know I will be in situations where I'm told to lose weight or if I ever had to gain weight for, you know, there are certain things that I am not capable of doing. Mm -hmm. And when you're just starting out, any reason for them to not hire you will be taken. So, um, I think I am, I'm nervous about the appearance culture and, and having certain limitations that can't really be changed, but I think I, you know, there's nothing I can do. So I just have to stick to my guns and advocate for myself and surround myself with people that understand and are healthy in a healthy way. (laughs) Yeah. Cause like it can kind of go in the other direction of like being really obsessively healthy to the extent that it's unhealthy and then like kind of forcing that onto other people of like you know if you just stopped taking all of your medications and started eating this extremely restrictive diet and working out eight times a day you would be fine right and I think but I think I have experienced that already I've gone through a lot of that and I've done the gluten and dairy-free diet and it didn't do that much for me I've gone through a bunch of things because I've I gained a lot of weight when I first got out of the hospital because I was on a ton of steroids. No one told me to also, like, be careful about what I ate, and I, like, couldn't go to school, so I just sat at home and Well, also, I I mean, when you're on prednisone, that's, like, it kind of takes over, and, like, you can't can't be like, I'm going to eat a salad today. Right. I mean, I literally spent all my days baking cakes and then eating them (laughs) for, like, two weeks of not going to school, and I ate a ton and all of that, and and I gained a lot of weight. And I, um, and my weight has fluctuated a lot since then. And I, for the first time in my life, have been conscious about what I ate and what I looked like and all of that, um, in a way that I'm still trying to navigate, not, and with this culture right now of diet fads and clean eating and all that. And I've luckily, like, I love vegetables. I love salads. Like, I like all of that stuff. So that's really helpful for me. But it can be really stressful being around people who are so, so strict and so, so obsessed. And I've realized that for my own mental health, I can't do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I am obsessed with food. So depriving myself of anything is never going to work for me. Right. It's detrimental to my mental health, and that's not worth it. Right. So I think just going into that kind of situation, knowing that, um, and taking care of myself and knowing what I can and can't do will be helpful, mm-hmm. but it will be very annoying. I'm very aware <laughs> of that. I wonder if it'll ever stop. Like, will we ever get to a point where like people don't make those obnoxious comments? I don't no. know. I mean, probably not. 
I guess I think a lot of it, I mean, aside from even diet things, people just want to help and they don't know what to say. And a lot of people, you know, this has worked for someone or, or, you know, they're obsessed with the the diet they're eating. So obviously it should help you. And I think from what we can see, even in our community, even if you have exactly the same disease, it's so different for everyone. Everyone's body is different. Mm -hmm. So what worked for one person is not necessarily going to work for someone else. And I know plenty of people who have lupus who don't eat dairy and don't eat gluten and it's totally changed their lives. Right. And for me, it didn't. And maybe it would in the future, maybe it wouldn't or, but yeah. So I think just, it's a lot of trial and error. Yeah. It's a lot of trial and error. And yeah. I've kind of gotten used to that. Yeah. I think if there's one thing that I can do with this podcast, it's like just try and convince people that like everybody's body is different. Yeah. Everybody's different. Leave us yeah. alone. And it can change from, mm-hmm. Day to day, week yep. to week, month to month, year to year. I mean, it's it's so different. And I think that can also be really frustrating and really upsetting because you can you go back to that year, you know, my sophomore year of college, I felt like a normal person. Like, I could go out, I could eat what I wanted, I could whatever, and I felt fine most of the time. And entering, you know, I'm 25 now, and the past few years, you know, being in my early 20s, having that pressure to, you know, everyone acts like they're invincible and lives like they're invincible. And even, you know, I babysit these two 10 year olds and I was sitting yesterday and I was watching, uh, one of the girls at her gymnastics class. And I'm like, Oh, I wish I could do that. And that is so depressing. Yeah. You know, a little bit, just like realizing your own, your own body's limitations and having to live with that and figure that out and navigate that. Um, but you know, I don't know, day by day. Yeah. I think it can also be hard when it kind of goes back and forth at like at those times where you are feeling better. Um, that's when like the real like imposter syndrome can kick up and be like, well, I guess I'm not actually that sick. I guess I, you know, I'm I'm better off than all of these other people or or whatever. And then it makes it that much harder to like readjust on the, the re-entry when you get sicker again. Yeah. Yeah, Well, it can feel so frustrating because a lot of times it just sneaks up on you Mm -hmm. and you can be doing so well and then bye. Yeah. And life sucks for six months or, you know, every day is a struggle. Um, and you can feel like I just did everything right and Mm -hmm. everything was great. And now what? Um, and that is so frustrating and can be so heartbreaking. Yeah, because you, th- you think that if you just keep all of the right plates spinning in the air, that, like, if you, it's like a puzzle that you just have to mm-hmm. figure out the right pieces, and then there's no, like, rhyme or reason to it at the end. Right. And you never, I think it's, and I, my friends make fun of me now because I'm such a planner. I like to have every day, like, every activity planned. I want to know everything in advance because I never know how I'm going to feel. So if I'm having a good streak, I want to make sure I do all the stuff that I can do. I want to make sure I see everyone. I want to know it because I don't know that, like, you know, tomorrow or next week or a month from now, I couldn't, I'll be in bed. Mm -hmm. So I think that I've noticed that that's why I've been, you know, why I'm like that because you just never know. Mm-hmm. So what you want to take advantage of a good streak, but then also you can't overdo it. So right. you have to realize how much energy and when to cut it off. Yeah. 
Yeah, I have to plan very intensely. Like, if I know I'm going to do something on a day, I have to, like, have two days of rest beforehand and, like, eight days of rest afterwards. It's ridiculous. Right. And you always have to, you know, well, I can't do that today because I did this. Mm -hmm. And I can't do that. You know, you have to pick and choose. And that can be really, really frustrating. Yeah. In general and for a young person. And for the people around you who say... Well, you could do this that day. Why can't you do this this day? It doesn't work. It doesn't like work that. like that. Yeah. I am not embarrassed to say that I, I well, I watch terrible TV in general, but um, I watched The Real Housewives and I had stopped. I only watched Beverly Hills, but I had stopped and then got back in this year. And you know, one of the biggest plot lines was about Yolanda Foster, and it was really disturbing that that was a big plot line of just everyone not believing her and she has Lyme yeah she has Lyme and she's been really vocal and active and wonderful about her experience and has done a lot for the disease and for the community but I just remember one of you know the big fights they had was one day she went to lunch with two of her friends and then couldn't go to this woman's dinner party that night and the woman didn't even care the woman was like her really good friend and actually has been really supportive and understanding probably the only one on the show and it caused a huge big thing that I don't think is unrealistic Mm -hmm. to you know how it is for us sometimes you know you know there probably aren't eight women sitting around talking about oh dear god I hope not (laughs) and like looking at your Instagram pictures but that's something I think of too you know I'm pretty active on social media I enjoy it I like it but I realize you know some things like I do something one day and then I can't do something with someone that night and I think about like oh I can't post something about facts then they're gonna think that I was lying or... Which is so ridiculous because even people who, like, don't have chronic illnesses are putting, more often than not, like, their best self on social media. Like, you're only seeing the highlights. Right. You're seeing the highlight reel. You don't see, you know, all of the other shit that's terrible in their lives. And that's true of people with chronic illness, too. Um, Like, I'm in the process of filing for disability right now. And so I have to be... Like, I don't know how careful. But it would make sense that in this day and age that right. they're looking at that. Right. It's yeah. hard. It's it and, hard. It, and it's interesting. I think, I don't know if you see this, but with being active about your illness on social media, when I do post, I mean, I don't have that many followers on Twitter that are my friends in real life. Mm-hmm. Um, but I notice when I do choose to talk about lupus on my personal accounts, not on the suffering, the silence accounts, I always like, notice the people that like those or engage with those posts that never engage with anything else. And I wonder how much of that is like a weird pity thing or they feel awkward Mm -hmm. and all of this. It's just interesting to see the, how people in your life that react to those certain. Yeah, that is interesting. Especially when you think about like how much, how much just like algorithms are involved in it too. So like you're sitting here worried about like all of like the personal implications when it could just be a robot who like only shows them those posts. Right. It's so true. Yeah. It's so true. But I do think about that, Mm -hmm. you know, um, because when you are so public about it, like I think about now, you know, if I ever, you know, if a casting director ever Googles me, those are the first things that come up. Mm -hmm. And I'm really proud of that. Um, but again, like that's a reason for them to not 
casting you or any future, you know, employer will see that. And again, I'm really proud of that. And I've, and it's on my resume, you know, it's stuff that I worked on and I'm really proud of, and I'm proud of the campaign and all of that. And, but it's weird to have people that know these very intimate details of your life now. It is. Yeah. But I do think like on the nice side of that, what this, what social media has done mm-hmm. for people who, who may be active and may be able to exist in the outside world, but for people who are really sick and don't have yeah. people to talk to, like to be able to connect with people via Twitter and Facebook and Tumblr and everything and Instagram has just been so amazing. And like yeah. one of my good friends now is a girl that I met through Suffering the Silence who randomly saw what when I had written my story way back um on the site and she lives in LA and I went to hang hang out with her when I was there and I might live with her you know we talk a lot and that's been just you know it's so crazy Mm -hmm. or you you know it's yeah it's amazing yeah I've definitely made a lot of like really good friends online I mean my boyfriend and I met online and we've lived together for four years now um so like that it definitely makes can make an otherwise really isolating experience. Yeah. Not as isolated. Like this podcast wouldn't exist without Twitter. Like that's how yeah. I find almost everyone that yeah, I have on. hundred yeah. percent. And it connects you with people that you, in your life that you wouldn't have otherwise been connected with. You know, so many people reached out after, you know, the, the photos kind of went viral and we were getting mainstream press who were seeing it, who, you know, people in high school that I, that Ali and I knew who are living with something or knew something or knew someone. Um, and I mean, my girlfriend and I, we went to college together, but we were never very close. And then she followed the Instagrams because she has a few, um, just in general, but she has some health issues of her own and saw that I was going to be in London and she happened to be in London too at that time. And we hung out in London and now we're dating. I mean, she lives in Seattle, so it it was, it's worth it. Um, but like totally crazy. We wouldn't have reconnected otherwise. Yeah. So you never know what that kind of stuff. It's true. Um, so I forgot that you guys went viral. That's actually like one of my biggest fears. How was that? It was really exciting. Yeah. I, that was my goal for it. Okay. Um, so I was really happy. I mean, I don't know if a technical, I don't know what viral means anymore. Yeah, I don't think it really, like, actually like, it means didn't, anything. Like, actually go viral, whatever. You got a lot, you got we a lot, got of, a lot press, of press, you got a lot of, like, shares, and yeah. it, it got a lot of exposure, yes. um, which has the potential to be very terrifying. Yeah, I think it totally can be scary, but I had, that was, like, my goal for it and our goal for it. So, but I didn't, I didn't expect it to blow up as much as it did um, because so many outlets were, were covering it and it was really exciting. And just that I had never expected to like reach people in other countries. I know. Isn't that crazy? I forgot the rest of the world had the internet I until know. I launched the podcast <laughs> and was like looking at all of these like listen stats come in from literally everywhere in the That's world. Really cool. Yeah. It's really cool. Well, and I think it just shows that there's such a lack of mm-hmm. community and representation for this community. Mm-hmm. Um, 
that, you know, I mean, there was a huge group of Brazilian people with arthritis and lupus and all these rheumatological problems that got involved with the campaign. And I I mean, it's just something that I wasn't aware of, yeah. um, you know, connecting with an organization there and people all over. It's, it's really exciting. Yeah. Um, but it also shows how much of a need all over the world there is for this kind of thing and right. for this, for these kind of outlets and spaces for people to talk about what they're going through. It's also because the American healthcare system is such like a closed loop. Like I really, I didn't think that like, like, so the last episode that I put out was with somebody in Norway, um, you know, and they have socialized medicine. It is a lot more efficient in a lot of ways yes. than, than ours is. And it's, it's quite different, but even still there, you know, even she was dealing with accusations of it being all in her head and, you know, stuff like that. These like really kind of fundamental shared experiences that so many people have, even though like you wouldn't think that there would be common ground. Yeah. Well, that's something I'm worrying about now is I, so in a year I'll be 26 and 26 is a scary age for people. Well, everyone, but especially people like us. Um, so for, in case anyone doesn't know, that's the year that you get kicked off of your insurance. It used to be much sooner than that. Um, when I graduated from college, it was like, I had a month and then it was like, see you later, goodbye. But the Affordable Care Act ex- extended that until 26, so you can stay on your parents' insurance until you're 26. And I've been really fortunate to have great insurance, and it's going to be real scary yeah. when that is not the case. Because I was talking to um, this girl that I had met through Suffering the Silence, um, and she's been going through a, a terrible diagnostic process with lupus, but she just turned 26, so she's in the midst of applying for healthcare and figuring out what she's doing with that. And, you know, she went to go pick up, like, three of our meds, and it was, you know, $1,500. And um, it's really scary. And I, I get an IV that's, like, 9000 each time or something like that. And, yeah, it's just really scary to have to think about that. It is. And it's especially difficult if you are somebody who has like non-traditional employment. Um, Like I'm a freelancer. Well, I was a freelancer. I'm not really doing much now. Um, So thankfully, my income was low enough that I qualified for Medicaid. But it was a pain in the ass to like prove that. And now that I am going through the disability process, like trying to prove to them that like I can't work enough and like you know, so when you don't have a traditional like nine to five job or even, you know, a part time job, yeah. if it's different month to month, it can really complicate yeah. the, the process. Yeah, absolutely. And even lo- looking for work mm-hmm. when you're living with an illness or a disability, I mean, it, it's so difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, and trying to figure out, you know, I think the nine, to, I did nine to five for, a, a while and it was really really hard on my body and in general I mean when acting I, I can't do that I need something flexible which can be great because I can hopefully freelance and work from home and that's the ideal situation but sometimes you can't find that and it's really hard and I mean I am fortunate and you know there are some benefits to having an invisible illness or disability in some ways because people don't know when hiring me um but it 
it is something that I usually eventually have to disclose mm-hmm. and work around and it, it makes working difficult. It does. Yeah. Because even though it's well within your rights under the Americans with Disabilities Act, employers are not always very excited to make reasonable accommodations, right. even when they're not unreasonable. Right. I've been pretty fortunate in my past few jobs for people who have been really understanding. And I also haven't gotten super sick in my past few jobs where it's really affected my work. But I definitely worry about that. And I know people have had really bad experiences with that. So, so we'll see how it goes. And, you know, now I'm starting to look for where I, who I'm going to see and where I'm going to be. And, you know, that that's definitely like where I want to live in LA. I want to live near Cedars. I want to not be worried about being like stuck on the 405 trying to get to the hospital or yeah. having, you know, having a long commute to the doctor or my infusion. It's, you know, it, you have to think about it in relation to pretty much everything you right. do. Right. And I think people don't think about that. Yeah. And when you are buying healthcare individually, like on the uh, Affordable Care Act exchanges, it's state by state. So if you like, if you move, you're, you're fucked because right. you can't, like, I just recently switched from like a, a much nicer plan to Medicaid and there was this whole thing that like I needed to get a letter stating that my plan was going to end on X date, but they couldn't give me a letter until the day that it ended. So I like, then I went back to the exchange and I was like, okay, never mind. But then somehow like the wires got crossed and my insurance plan canceled it earlier than it was supposed to. And then I was just like, Oh, I, I guess I don't have health insurance now for like a month and a half. That's and it so was scary. It and was so really much scary. can happen in a yeah. month and a half. Like, so much can happen in a day. Yeah. Like, I was afraid to, like, go to Walgreens to buy Pedialyte because if I picked up, you know, some sort of infection or something, I was like... Because I... Technically, I was covered under Medicaid, but I hadn't gotten a card. And in New York State, you actually have to get, like, a managed care plan through a private insurer even when you're on Medicaid. So... Without that, like, no doctors take just Medicaid, and it just, it was a nightmare. It's so stressful and scary. It's really scary. When I switched to Medicaid, a lot of my doctors were in New Jersey, because that's Uh, where I'm from originally, and now that I'm on New York State insurance, I can't see anyone in New Jersey, Uh so I have to replace, like, 12 doctors. That's so stressful. (laughs) And I just laugh about it every time I talk about it, because I'm like, I... I know. You have to laugh. Like, so much of this is funny. Mm-hmm. Because you you just are like, what is my life? Yeah. When I was at the last time, you know, I've been having these persistent migraines. I haven't been getting any better. So I'm being put on, you know, new preventative medicine. And we were talking about different options. My doctor was like, well, I have this one that I usually put on um, about, like, 90-year-old men. And we both laughed, and she was like, well, it's, like, basically you. And I'm like, yeah, I know. So, like, that's what it is. I mean, some of this, like, is so ridiculous. When you think about that you have 12 doctors to replace. It's ridiculous. Like, my strategy right now is just to see how long I can go without actually needing any other specialist. Mm -hmm. Because I have a primary care doctor who I I like now. Um, But my migraines are... You know, I have chronic migraine. I was getting Botox. It was okay. amazing. And now I can't get Botox anymore. So I like now I'm like, okay, I guess I need to find a neurologist, yeah. but I, uh, I don't want to, 
I don't yeah. want to at all. Yeah, it's exhausting too. Yeah. And you know, adding someone else to your team and someone to have to keep in the loop mm-hmm. who others don't keep in the loop. And it's just a lot of response. We have a lot of responsibility. Yeah. And I think people, I get frustrated sometimes when my mom reminds me to do things and I'm like, you don't know. I, I, every day I have to deal with this, like yeah. every second. And I think people forget how much we have on our plates mm-hmm. and how much we have to do day to day to be a functioning human. Definitely. And especially like starting over with such a comprehensive health issue and health history. And also I have like at least three or four different conditions that like most doctors haven't really heard of, which is, I can imagine that's so frustrating. Uh, Frustrating is one way to put it. Scary. And I don't even know. I mean, it's just, it's bizarre. It's so bizarre because like I'm, I'm now in this alternate universe where I know more than the doctors and uh, we're still operating under the rules of this universe where the doctors are supposed to know more than me. So it, that causes some right. issues. Yeah. And I know. think that's, I saw a lot with suffering the silence, especially, you know, obviously with Allie's book and the whole debate over chronic Lyme and seeing so many people who are going through these issues where p- doctors are laughing at them or not taking them seriously. I feel fortunate that people usually will take me seriously because lupus is a well-known disease at least in the medical community but you know there are so many people out there that are just thrown aside and not taken seriously and that's so hurtful and shameful and awful yeah and dangerous dangerous super dangerous and like definitely doesn't help our healthcare costs when we just continue to tell women that everything is all in their head until they get super sick and then need all of this like extra healthcare that they wouldn't have needed before um oh you traveled quite a bit yes for suffering the silence the book yes. tour and everything um do you have any travel secrets how do you survive because i am i got a full scholarship to the medics conference in september Yay! that's yeah. really exciting I, it's very exciting it's but really i'm gonna die exciting. i'm gonna die i haven't flown in five years the last time i flew okay. was from newark to boston okay so okay I'm so the long worried. flight i mean yeah. Granted, I have been relatively healthy for the past few years, but I mean, it's just all about planning. Like my packing takes so much longer now, just with all of your meds and getting everything ready and depending on how you like to travel with your meds. I also have this like great pill case that I love. Um, It's essential to my existence. Um, It's just really cute and little and it just like can fit everything and if it depending on how long of a trip I'm going I'll just put all my pills in there or you know if I'm going for a longer trip and if I'm um like checking a bag or whatever it is like and I have to bring all of the actual bottles but I think just thinking of like every possible thing that could go wrong and preparing for that like bringing like I always get you know these weird skin things or whatever so I bring like all of my creams I bring everything that I bring a little bit of prednisone just in case something happens I'm like always prepared for worst case scenario because I don't want to be frantically calling my doctor and trying to get things filled in other places yeah so I always bring everything that I think could go wrong you know, who knows if like emergency really works that much, but I always do a lot of emergency echinacea. Echinacea has really helped me for the past few months in general. So I've been 
do, using that a lot, and I usually up that when I'm away. Um, for me, I get, I really, I need to be eating every few hours, so I always have, like, trail mix, bars, things with me, because I know, especially traveling, you never know when and what kind of food is going to be available to you. So to make sure you have those kind of options and to, you know, I brought a little pillow with me and a blanket thing because now sometimes they don't even offer them on flight. So depending on like what kind of sleep schedule and what you need on those kind of things is helpful. And, you know, especially with joint issues, getting up and walking um, on the plane helps a lot and like doing little exercises. I remember when I was first in physical therapy, they just suggested to do the alphabet with your feet and that view and that like sometimes can help. Um, and maybe just like as much as you have control over your timing, you know, sometimes things may be a little bit more expensive depending on also what your budget is on, but like trying to get the flights that, you know, whatever way that you are, you know, if you're worse in the morning, worse at night, whatever, trying to make sure that like you can plan your travel schedule around what timing usually works best for your body mm-hmm. is something that I try to do as much as possible. Yeah. Thankful. Like the upside of the West, the West coast stealing all of my friends mm-hmm. is that I actually have people to stay with. So I'm going to fly out like a few days early, stay with one friend and then stay a few days afterwards with another friend That's and nice. then just like give myself some time. Yeah. And it, like also whenever possible, if you can allot for rest time, mm-hmm anywhere you can and not and try not to overdo it and it's so sad because when you're traveling and you know you're going for work but also you're going to be seeing friends and mm-hmm. hopefully feeling like it's somewhat of a vacation but yeah. I mean you know just trying to make sure that like where you're just taking like treating yourself really nicely and just trying to acknowledge that you are a delicate and mm-hmm. especially in this situation so lying down as much as you can just you know yeah it's they all it's all seems like common sense whatever yeah, but it's just like mostly luck and combination of intense self-care yeah i'm terrified you'll be fine you'll be fine and also like so many people there will get it yeah i'm just and and theoretically they say that traveling from east to west is easier on the body as okay. traveling from west to east that really sucks I so hopefully my body will wait until I get home to yeah, explode. To yeah. I mean, it usually, I feel like sometimes does. If you can like get in the mindset where you're like, I'm going to do this, like body, get it together. You're <laughs> going to do that today. <laughs> you are going to survive. You are going to do this and you need to do this mm-hmm. for these few days. And when we get home, we can lay and be sad and crumble together. But like, you got to do it. Yeah. Sometimes it listens. Depending on, you know, how it feels. Right. Doesn't like to cooperate on no. normal. Uh, if people want to find you, where should they look? Um, you can go to the Suffering the Silence Facebook. You can go to sufferingthesilence.com. The Facebook is facebook.com slash suffering the silence. We are also on Instagram at suffering the silence. And our Twitter is STS together. And if you want to follow me personally, I am at Erica Loops. L-O-O-P-S. Erica with a C. Um... Is it convenient that you have lupus and Mm -hmm, your mm -hmm, last mm -hmm. name is Lupinacci? Yes. This is, again, a funny thing. Um, On one of the articles that came out about the portraits, someone commented something to the effect of, 
her name, her last name is Lupinacci and she has lupus. What are the odds? And some wonderful person like tried to defend me. And I'm like, no, LOL. What are the odds? It's amazing. It's really funny. Erica Lupus Nachi. I mean, come on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah. I mean, what is this life? I think it's hilarious. It's really funny. There's so many fun jokes you can do with it. You have to laugh at that. That is crazy. It is pretty funny. Yeah. Well, Erica, thank you so much for talking to me in this 500 degree weather. Thank you so much for coming <laughs> and traveling and talking to me. Thanks for listening to In Sickness and In Health. Find resources and more from us at InSicknessPod.com and on social media at InSicknessPod. And don't forget to be excellent to yourselves and each other.